0: listening to another episode of the visitors might be listening the unofficial podcast about all things v as always i'm lewis ryan and i'm joined by my co-host lars emerson hey how's it going lewis it's good to be back on the air (laughs) as always it's good to be back on the air with you lars tell us what what episode of v are we discussing today what a
1: handsome question lewis we're on v the final battle part two which is our fourth episode of v that we are covering Wow,
0: that's a lot of episodes. (laughs) Yeah, four out of five. All right. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk about this episode with you today, Lars, because uh, I actually hadn't watched this episode prior to uh, the other day. So I I had no foreknowledge of anything that happened in it. Yeah, it's exciting. This is the first episode
1: where we're both coming in completely ignorant. (laughs) And now we kind of have to uh,
0: react on the air. Oh, I, I can tell you, I was pretty ignorant before. <laughs> you promised you knew everything about V
1: when we started this project, Lewis.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. I said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we're going to get into it today. As always, we are contributors for ThePostWriter.com, uh, a neat website, uh, as described by People Magazine, a place where all sorts of articles about movies, TV, politics, economics health and fitness
1: disclaimer people magazine has never actually endorsed the website (laughs) postwriter.com
0: never said it was people magazine did it did i didn't you i thought it was just people (laughs) (laughs) oh maybe it was maybe i said it um yeah I'm, i'm very excited to watch this uh and i encourage all listeners to check out v check out please support the official release it's on iTunes, Amazon Video. You can buy some of the Blu-rays that have come out recently from the Warner Brothers Archive. I highly recommend checking it out, um, as well as listening to our podcast discussions about it. Um, some people might enjoy listening to our discussion first and then watching it. I don't know what kind of person <laughs> she would be. but yeah. That would be very strange. <laughs> No stranger than some of the things that happen in this episode of V, right, Lars? Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, so, with those intros out of the way, I guess we should get right into it. So, Lars, uh, why don't you tell us what happens in the final battle, part two?
1: Yeah. So, the final battle, part two, uh, whose teleplay is by Brian Taggart and Diane Frolov, and whose stories by Lillian Weiser and Diane Frolov and Peggy Goldman and Faustus Buck. <laughs> That was a mouthful. It took a lot of people to write this episode.
0: Yeah. Uh, A whole whole buffet of uh, TV writers were brought in. They uh, (laughs) pumped out a script. I'm actually going... Sorry. I'm going to be actually discussing uh, some of them in our Rs and N segment towards the end of the episode, like who these people are. Cool.
1: So uh, part two of the final battle, I think, kind of follows three plot lines, two of which are going to merge together pretty quickly. Um, there's Juliet's plot. Uh, Julie, if you may remember from the last episode, she was captured by the visitors uh, during their, you know, big reveal at the Los Angeles Medical Center. Um, then you have Mike, his plot, uh, whereas kind of the resistance's plot. Uh, and then I think you have Diana's plot, and who's, you know, the the female visitor. She's kind of on her own little journey to redeem herself after the big failure of uh the Los Angeles Medical Center so I think that's kind of how you how we would string together this episode is with those three characters
0: okay um yep so those are definitely some important characters what 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 are some uh things that they actually do in these plots?
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure so let's let's start with uh Let's start with Juliet. So she's been captured by the visitors, and you see at the end of the previous episode that she's in their conversion chamber. Um, We don't really know what that entails yet, but we do discover it (laughs) uh, pretty dramatically in this episode. So she is going through these, like, conversion sessions, which are being conducted by Diana and the visitors. Um, And it's basically, like it's like a sensory chamber that's like imposing these like terrifying hallucinations on her. And like, she's like running through like alien corridors and there's like something chasing her and they keep like dialing it up. And it's like, we need to make it more intense. And there's like strobe lights. Um, I actually thought it like looked pretty good. It's obviously like, um, I think it's like a pretty cheap effect other than the hallucination itself. But like, you know, it increasingly escalates and Diana's really trying to like push her and be like, you're going to, like, and and they're like, she has like a heart condition, which kind of ends up saving her is they can't actually push her too far because she has like this. It's just a very intense kind of sequence and it goes on pretty long. Um, and uh, essentially they're trying to convert Julia to their cause through fear, which I thought was an interesting uh, way to go back into like our plot of fascism is fascists obviously motivate by fear and that's kind of often been historically their undoing is you know, operating by fear can only get you so far and they're trying to convert Juliet with fear and it's unclear at the end if it works. She does suffer like a heart attack which is not really I I think it's portrayed kind of inaccurately but (laughs) Uh, Eventually, um, she kind of collapses and, like, asks for help, which is, I guess, a sign that it was starting to work. Something kind of odd happens in this scene that's going to bring us into the Mike Donovan plot is a Mike Donovan lookalike storms in right at that moment that she appears to have been converted and, like, tries to save her and kill Diana. But it turns out that this is just, like, one of the, like, good guy visitors the the fifth column i think they call themselves um and he's like killed and you're like oh my god did they just kill mike donovan but no they they did not it was a someone wearing like a skin of him (laughs) him. um so that i think kind of brings us to diana's plot and then we're going to loop back to the resistance
0: yeah so I, i think i'll just Discuss my thoughts on the whole Julia sure. part. Sure. I actually thought it, um, it was actually pretty audacious because it does go on a long time and it actually is pretty uh pretty neat that this aired on like, network television yeah. for an extended stretch of time. Yeah, it's just it's a pretty trippy, sort of psychedelic sequence that's pretty much uninterrupted for like ten minutes or so of her like sanity being tested. It reminded me right. of, what's the thing in uh, Harry Potter when they go back to the memories? Oh, the Pensieve. Yeah, that that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, because um, it's sort of like she's re-experiencing memories. Because I guess she has fear of abandonment, right, or something like that. Right. Um. Yeah. So you treated that. There's some really cool. That set they use. It's weird how like the there's like, like the normal gray hallways in the mothership, but it's like when they get down to like the the bowels. It's like these weird like. Uh, Alien 1979-esque hallways. It's yeah, like it looks black. like a nest or something, yeah. Yeah, that that's always a pretty cool set. There are some uh, parts that don't hold up as well. Like, there's <laughs> there's like a part with an iguana. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: It's, it's forced perspective. It's reminiscent of, if anyone has seen uh, any of Bert I. Gordon's movies, it's something out of something like King Dinosaur, where it's using forced perspective... To make an iguana, uh, an ordinary iguana, seem like it's twenty eight feet tall, and then then they throw out a a different lizard thing. It's like a model lizard monster that's chasing Juliet. So that stuff wasn't as cool to look at, but uh, right. it's pretty it's pretty neat. I was a little bit bothered when when she does go into cardiac arrest, she seems to just like uh, immediately fall over, and there's no mention of like the no one ever says anything like she's going to cardiac arrest. It's like, all right, drop, drop the field. She just seems to fall down on her own, which makes me think, was Juliet just standing perfectly still in the middle, just on her own? Cause it doesn't seem like there's any holding field holding her right. you know, in place. Yeah, so. yeah.
1: The whole cardiac arrest, like, I like that the like heart condition like proved to be like, ironically kind of saved her. Um, But I, I, it's like the most unrealistic part to me is that whole, like how she collapses and how she experiences a heart attack. It,
0: I, yeah, <laughs> I don't think that was too real. Yeah. But overall I thought it was pretty cool sequence. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now, now we can move on. Yeah. So this whole episode
1: and the like faux Mike Donovan bursting in kind of encourages Diana who is um, being visited by the, like, squad director? I, I'm kind of unclear as the leadership. It's someone between Diana and John, presumably. Right? Yeah, it's just a uh, commander, Pamela. Right. Um, Which kind of did refresh for me that Diana is not, like, really in charge of the visitors. She's just kind of in charge of, like, the L.A. division. I did not really think about that. I guess that makes... Tr- like, I assume that she was, like, a leader just a little below John, but there's actually, like, multiple levels of Just gives context to the fact that these sort of the point is this story is playing off, playing out all over the world. Right. Diana is just the leader there. Um, So she's under all of this pressure to expose, you know, the fifth column. uh, People within her ship because, you know, they're against the cause. Um, And she's very anxious to get uh, Mike Donovan and she discovers through Mike's mother that like Mike's son they've captured his son right um so that's kind of a thing to keep in mind that we'll come back to later now when the commander visits Diana there's there's obviously like a the ship is not safe right there's there's something concerning security on the ship cuz this guy was able to break into this interrogation room and almost kill Diana so Thanks to, I always forget his name. Who's the good Martin? Martin. Yeah. So thanks to Martin, who is a member of the fifth column secretly, but is kind of trusted by Diana, they suggest that they move all the visitors down to earth because it'll be safer. Um, And they do that. And that's going to, that provides the means with which to bring Juliet down to earth, which is going to bring us into our third and kind of our major plot line, which is the resistance. So the resistance, while this has all been going on with Juliet and Diana, they've acquired kind of two two new members. Uh, it's it's Ham Tyler and Chris Farber, and they're 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 found kind of like photographing the resistance. It, it
0: I was a little unclear as to like what they do. Is he like a like a war supplier? It just seemed he came across like a military guy that was. Uh... He, hang around with Mike when they were off uh, in foreign places uh, and he was filming right. journalism things. So I think at the beginning, he's just sort of like he's scoping out the resistance camp as it stands to tell them, you know, here's what you guys are doing wrong. Cause he's like an actual military experience sort of guy helping out these like collection of scientists and cops and hoodlums and whatever is to like help the, help their ran ramshackle cause. Right, um, and yeah, Mike does not care for
1: him, but eventually they get together. It, it what? That's true. There,
0: well, yeah, he says like I don't like him, but I trust him.
1: Right. Yeah. There's clearly tension between them from the earlier life. Um, it all kind of doesn't matter because almost immediately, as was hinted in the last episode, the visitors know where the hideout is and they're on their way. So a little bit of a battle to escape their current headquarters. Uh, ensues, and they end up relocating to like an old western. Is it like a a set?
0: I was a little unclear if it's like a set or if it's like an actual old old western town. <laughs> it's a it's a movie ranch. Yeah, if you'd seen once upon a time in America. That's where the the Manson family hides out. It's a movie ranch. It's like oh. where they, they have horses and stuff. That's where they film. Gotcha. You know, scenes for those kinds of movies and stuff. There's not really a whole lot done with it. It's pretty much just it's it's really more like they're at a train yard because they sleep on a train that's there and right. there's one one clearly 80 yard line of like what is this place it's an old movie ranch <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but uh yeah that whole sequence is pretty cool when they're escaping and then they blow up <laughs> they blow up the base and all the visitors get blown up <laughs> yeah yeah um there's a lot of explosions in this
1: episode actually um, and so what happens next is, uh, B- Maggie, who's this, uh, blonde member of the resistance, and she's the one who's been, you know, sleeping with Daniel, who's evil, um, to get information. And she finds out that this prisoner drop-off is going to occur and Juliet will be among them. So, the Resistance concocts this plan to go and, like, storm in and grab Juliet. Um, and it, it involves, you need uh, the old woman, Ruby. Ruby. Uh, to Who's, like, you know, hiding out as, like, a... She's secretly posing as, like, a cleaning lady for um, some of the visitors.
0: Uh, or for Mike's mother, really. <laughs> no. No, no, no. For some of the visitors. He's, like... It's uh it's like a visitor's compound. It's very, very like World War II reminiscent, yeah. where it's like this chalet. There right. are guards posted with guns, they have the giant flags with the visitors, right? Swastika. right, right. It's very, very like this is like a World War II movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. So she needs to be on the inside and cut this like <laughs> electric fence thing. Um she ends up getting killed doing this, is uh Daniel kills her. Um so that was kind of sad, but shows you that Daniel's, like, a bad guy. Um, but they grab Juliet and they, you know, they, they get out of there. And then everyone's reunited. I actually, like, I, I think I'm going to jump into this now, even though I could talk about it later. So I actually think this episode is pretty disjointed. I don't really love how they cut from scene to scene in this episode. I think there's a lot of, there's, like, a lot of costume changes and time jumps that make it, like, very confusing. And I think I would have been even more confused if I had watched this with, like, commercials in the middle. And I was, like, paying attention, and I still was like, what? How? What's going on? And I get some of that's intentional, like with Mike Donovan, like, storming into the visitor's ship, but it's not really him.
0: Yeah, I I can see how you could feel those feelings. But I I thought this episode uh, was—it still held up pretty much more or less even keel with the last one. It just doesn't have that all sorts of— everything converging onto this one gala event. Right. It's like you sort of have two heists. You sort of have them getting Juliet and then the thing with the water plant right after. So it's more like two, two half episodes like combined. Yeah. And
1: thank you for mentioning the water plant. That's basically the big finale of this episode is the visitors have been stealing, uh, water through this giant pipe system leading up to their ship. Um, and, you know, all of California is going to be out of water um, unless the resistance can stop this. Uh, so they they plan, you know, kind of an attack, which also, I mean, it's kind of like a heist. It's like they have to plan how to sneak in and sneak out and get past this, like, laser wire. Um, and that's, like, the main um, climax of the episode. And you're facing, you know, there's this discussion. is like, can we trust Julie? Is she... You know, has she been converted? She doesn't trust herself. She doesn't seem to really know if she can trust her. Um, Mike, (laughs) Mike and Julie, uh, you know, clearly have feelings for each other. And, uh, you know, um, I do like when Mike first shows up in this episode is he's got like, (laughs) he's like very unbuttoned. Um, And you see like him shirtless in this episode and he's like extremely shaved. And I was like, that's interesting. They've really priorita- prioritized like <laughs> shaving in the fascist apocalypse. <laughs> um, I just thought it was kind of funny, um, but yeah, the, the main the main plot or, or the main climax is them destroying this hydro plant where they're harvesting water.
0: Yeah, that's like the the big uh, central plot element that all the characters help out, and then you get little things like before and after, like Mike and Juliet consummate their romance on the train and the cop and maggie um mac i think his name's mac i think that's what they call him yeah mac or mark or something
1: like that i don't know um is is there's there's clearly like a relationship there but he's upset because you know they're using her as to sleep with daniel to get information so he's upset and they're like grow the fuck up (laughs) Um, and, or sorry, and they're like, grow up, and, um, uh, he asks her to marry him right before they all go off on this big damn adventure. Largely, there are kids listening. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, which ends up, you know, not, uh, not going well.
0: Uh, well goes pretty well. Mac ends well, up getting shot.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. How did how did you think that the 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 water dam <laughs> attack scene was all carried
0: out? I think that was my favorite part mostly. I was thought it was done well, but like while I was watching it, you know how like when you're watching a movie and it's like the main character is doing something and then it cuts and it's like the bad guys like getting closer and you can feel like, "No," No, 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 he's getting closer. It's like I, I wasn't like in in as invested as that. I yeah. was just pretty much was, watching it. and it was all done effectively, but I wasn't sucked in to what was happening.
1: yeah. I, I think the sort of uh, disconnected, disjointed parts of this episode played in here for me too, is you see uh, initially, um, Mike and Juliet are like scoping out the scene they're trying to see like what's going on and they have to like sneak in with like a truck like a visitor's car and they're dressed as visitors and they have these like voice changers um and then when they do the full attack where there's you know like 20 members of the resistance all attacking this dam they just kind of like get in and they're sneaking around at night i i was just a little i I feel like these are the least perceptive fascists in history (laughs)
0: Yeah, they come off off really incompetently in these episodes, which I would have a problem with. But they seem to be, like, acknowledging that Steven's not doing a very good job. Right. So they're, like, at least acknowledging it. But it's just, like,
1: I don't understand. I mean, there's just a lot of just, like, people dropping down or, like, walking across the whole room and no one seems to notice. There's a lot of that that I found a little unbelievable.
0: There's, like, probably little things they could have done. Like, they try they to establish, like, this tunnel where it's, like, lasers. And it's, like, they have a 12-minute window where the lasers aren't on. Because if you're in that tunnel with the lasers, it, like, de-atomizes you. Yeah. And they do show... They have a video, somehow, of right. <laughs> someone getting thrown in. Uh, I think that's that's sort of an example of, like tell don't show when it should really be show don't tell maybe have like someone who gets like stuck on the ladder and then they get de as they're like breaking in right there's also this element of like we have this uh experimental explosive there should have probably been someone that accidentally blows themselves up uh before they're supposed to to really like build tension and be like (laughs) you guys really got to be careful with this stuff yeah,
1: the experimental explosive, which does not actually appear to have a very big explosion. <laughs> I, I, the explosions are just, like, kind of comically small for me. Yeah, it's just a matter of budget. Yeah, no, I know. And I get, like, I guess it didn't really matter, because what ends up is they burst the pipes, right? And the pipes, all the water pressure kind of just, like, destroys the thing. But they, they make it seem like they need, like, giant explosion to destroy this thing. um, Where it really just seems like a lot of very small explosions. Um, anyway, I I think that all happens. They're successful, but, um, yeah, the cop character, you know, kind of tragically, you know, dies saving other people. Um, and I I was
0: sad to see him. I was sad to see him die. (laughs) Not because of like the, the moment, but because I I liked his character. He, he had really good dialogue scenes with, uh, Elias. Yeah. I was upset that he's gone now. Yeah,
1: I I was I I think someone kind of had to die in that scene. I thought it was a little unrealistic that they'd be able to get in and out like perfectly. Um, And I think that was like a. they obviously I I thought it was a little too on the nose how they set it up. It's like, oh, he has this like previously unrevealed relationship with this girl and there's drama there. And now they're going to get engaged right before he goes out on this mission. It was very obvious that he was going to die. Right. The mission is successful. Presumably, water is restored to California. Well,
0: there's there's a lot of stock footage to indicate water. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, and then we kind of come back to Diana's plot that I had hinted at earlier. Is they there's this TV announcement <laughs> that's going to be run hourly, and it's Diana and Stephen with uh, Mike's son Sean. Yeah. Um, and it's, they're basically like proposing a trade-off it's like, you give us Mike and we will give you his son. And they, they say they're going to do it, um, as, and there's like this cool, you know, geographic, uh, it's like a pipe. It, it yeah. kind of looks, yeah, it's like a little like cave Channel. almost. Yeah. Channel. Um, and they do this, like, swap as Mike walks through and he, you know, hugs his son for the first time in a long time. And then, like, they keep walking. It's like this classic prisoner swap. It's very cool. I actually liked that part. Um, I thought it was, like, also a little unrealistic. Because wouldn't the visitors just, like, kill them all? (laughs) Like, visitors don't want Mike. They want all of them dead, right? But whatever. It's, it was cool. (laughs) Um, and... Mike is taken back up to the mothership and a fifth column agent like arranges to be like the first one to like see him and like gives him a suicide pill. Well, I guess they are going to torture Mike for information. So maybe they do want to keep him alive, but um, that doesn't pay off is Diana. Like, you know, they storm in, they kill the fifth column guy. You know, she like stamp stomps out this suicide pill and uh, Mike is given this truth serum and he like c- confesses that Martin uh, is like a fifth column guy and Martin like tries to kill Diana and he and uh, Mike like kind of escape into the air uh, air chefs And that's, I believe where they end the episode is they are on the run within the ship. The
0: two of them. Yeah. I was trying to remember I, that that's just where it ends for them. Yeah. They, the visitors have this truth serum that's 100% effective. <laughs> so they give it to Mike. Like, I guess they have to, like, up the dosage with Mike. Uh, and it's like, who is the fifth comment? And he's like, Martin. And then Martin just, like, immediately springs into action. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that was...
1: I, I'm glad... I thought they did that pretty well. Like, I'm glad they didn't, like, draw it out too much.
0: No. In fact, I, I think they probably rushed through all this too quickly with Mike's son and the trade-off and this. Right. right, it all happens
1: kind of very shoehorned into the end of the episode, probably because there's one last thing that happens at the end of the episode. And that is Robin goes into labor. Now, remember, Robin has been impregnated by a visitor. Brian. Brian. And... So, you know, Juliet and some other characters, including our favorite Willie, who has been helping Robin through her labor because he knows how females of his kind handle this sort of thing. What well, You know, like um, all, all, all men, like
0: all human for, men know about women.
1: Right. <laughs> like, uh, Willie seems to be like a sensitive, knowing guy, though. And like maybe the visitor's labor process is different. I don't I don't know. Um. So they uh, have to give her a C-section, and she gives birth to twins that are dizygotic. But we will unpack that in a minute. <laughs> what does dizygotic mean? Uh, they're not monozygotic. Okay. <laughs> so like they they have different. So like monozygotic are like identical twins, and dizi- fraternal. <laughs> dizygotic are different twins. Fraternal as opposed to identical. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. There's separate, it's two separate eggs as opposed to one separate egg, right? All right. Uh, Whatever. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You can cut that out. But (laughs) yes, she gives birth to non identical twins. I should have said that. Should
0: I tell people? (laughs) Yes. The first twin. So the the first twin. uh... At this point, we don't know it's twins yet. The The first baby is delivered, and uh, there's a, an immediate sense of relief and, like, joy among the Resistance Fighters. Because they're like, it's a girl, and it seems to be, like, a really, like, uh, completely normal human child. Um, so Robin seems happy, so they hand the baby over to her, and everything's all happy. And then it cuts to the baby when she takes her first look at—she—the girl—when— she takes her first look at Robin. She like hisses at Robin and there's a snake <laughs> tongue that comes out and it's disturbing. And Robin starts screaming. They're like, knock around yeah, <laughs> right yeah. now. Everyone starts screaming about, oh, God, the inhumanity. Right. And right. we're like, oh, my God, what unholy abomination have we wrought. And then <laughs> oh, what happens? Just you wait. <laughs> then. So I, I had
1: forgotten that they put Robin out at that point. That's actually interesting to remember for the next episode. Because I'm curious where they go with this. And then there's an eruption in the medical facility. And, and Juliet's like, oh my god. She's having twins. And there's this, like, rumble in her jumble. As something emerges from her her uterus. And crawls out. And it's this, like lizard child but with like blue human eyes um it's got this like puppet mouth and it's like (laughs) um the episode kind of lost me at that point but that's also basically the end of the episode (laughs) um so that's a good
0: place (laughs) to lose you i guess
1: right and it like freezes on this like the episode like it freezes and goes to credits with that image of like the lizard
0: child. If any of our listeners have seen either Ghoulies 1 or Ghoulies 2. This is what the baby looks like. Uh it's it's like a giant watermelon baby that's just like Robin's uh womb is apparently like infinite. <laughs> right. These these children are huge. <laughs> Um, the second child, especially, uh, it's, and it's like, uh, clear this, it's like not a baby. It's like a child. Already. Right, right. Yeah. And it has like a puppet grimace and it has like teeth already, like kind of cute teeth. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, it's uh, very, um, what an interesting, like I get, you and I were kind of talking about this. You said it's like, it looks, it looks good in paper. But in practice, it's not
0: yeah. a very effective well, way. I mean, you write the script and it's supposed to be, like, a uh, horrifying image of, like, you're delivering a baby and it's, like, a lizard monster. Right. Like, it should be creepy. Like, we were saying, like, if anyone's seen head, like, that the baby in Eraserhead is very, like, creepy, like, baby effect. And that was years before this. And, um, yeah. but, like, this, the, the this is, like, there's... The, the effects the effects is like the effect is like good. like if someone like made this like if you or I made this, you'd be like, wow, this is like a really good like special effect. The problem is that it, the tone of it is completely wrong the way it's designed. like it's fine for like Ghoulies. right Goolies is like a camp uh, Empire Pictures schlocky horror movie. This is supposed to be like a, a gripping drama with right. World War II allegories and it's like a very camp campy looking special effect. And the problem, I think, is that it has human-looking eyes, which is probably supposed to be, be that it's, like, a hybrid. But if they had probably kept the red, like, reptilian eyes, I think it would have been a lot better and more effective at being <laughs> disturbing. But as it is right now, it's just, like, they have a lot of course-correcting to do in the next part. They they do. And I am... I left this episode less
1: optimistic than I started it with this moment. <laughs> Um, but it is interesting. I had forgotten that they had knocked Robin out. So I am interesting what she wakes up to. Yeah.
0: If it were me, I, I mean, they probably knew this while they were filming it. If it's like they're there that day with the special, I mean, I don't know, but like you could definitely have just done like film it from behind. Right. That might've been better. I, that's what I was thinking is they should have, I, I think they actually show too much
1: of this lizard baby, is they should have showed like a hand or something and cut the episode there. I I think, yes, the problem is they show the full thing, you know, minus the legs really, and that's how the episode ends. It would have been a lot more like terrifying and effective if they just showed like a lizard arm or like, yeah, like the back of its head or something.
0: I want to see like uh, a hard edit of someone like the scene from like part one where it's like Abraham talking about The concentration camps and the holocaust and then smash cut to this scene of the baby coming (laughs) out and it's like two completely different shows like what am i watching here now yeah yeah um not a not a winning moment but not 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 the best special effect for the the tone they're trying to go for yeah so that that pretty much is it that uh, that image uh, leaves us, wets our appetite for the <laughs> epic conclusion of the final battle. Uh, so, Lars, overall thoughts on uh, this episode?
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of like I said, I thought this episode was a little more disjointed. I know you disagreed a little. Um, I just thought that the various plot lines were cut together a little worse in this one than in the last episode. Um, I, I thought, I did find it like a tad repetitive but i didn't like it didn't bother me a lot is is it was kind of the same plot as the last one it's like rebels are in trouble they go and attack a visitor compound and then there's a big plot where they have to go attack a visitor's like infrastructure it felt it felt similar and i thought it was fine i mean i guess the plot did move forward is juliet is now who knows what's going on with juliet right and, you know, clearly Robin's plot <laughs> developed. Um, I honestly, I kind of thought this episode was like the most Star Wars-y to me is I think Mike Donovan really like like um, he really hams in the like Luke Skywalker impression. And and I thought bringing in Michael Ironside is like a new, you know, fold for the for the resistance. I thought that felt kind of Star Wars-y is they're kind of just. They're, they're just sort of like shoehorning a few characters together. And I, I just thought like visually it looked a lot more Star wars Like the conversion chamber scene was very, I, that felt, it all felt very Star Wars. And I know that Star Wars has been like an homage or a an influence on this show since the beginning. And they're clearly kind of going for something like that. But, you know, I don't know.
0: Yeah, um, we could talk about more about Ham Tyler after the break because I have thoughts about him. But... I do think it is very Star Warsy. They definitely wanted to consummate that relationship between Mike and Juliet to have their Han and Leia moment before Mike goes off. Yeah. Uh, in the prisoner exchange. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting mix of uh very Star Warsy and very like World War Two mo- movie, which Star Wars is in this episode. Like the whole, but with Star Trek special effects <laughs> for. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> well, I mean, am Hey-do. I wrong? I <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the the Gorn from Arena that probably would have been better than the baby at yes. the end. Right? no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's there's interesting connections between Star Wars and V here. I do think when you take scenes like uh, Daniel shooting Ruby in Cold Blood, like there's nothing like that in the original trilogy of Star Wars films. I wouldn't say.
1: Han shoots Greedo in cold
0: blood. <laughs> Greedo! There's another thing that would have been a better baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, they, were, <laughs> they were 20 years too early for the baby Greedo craze <laughs> in The Phantom Menace. Oh my god. Um, no, I, I like this episode. I thought it pretty much uh, was on the even keel. I am uh, a bit concerned that sort of the, the cracks have already shown and they're going to come home to roost in in part three, but we'll just have to take it as it comes. Yeah. yeah. I really hope they stick the landing. Yeah. Um, it's it adds a tinge of suspense to our next episode. I suppose <laughs> it's, it certainly does. What'd you say out of 10 for this episode? I, I don't know. I,
1: I think it's kind of hard to rate out of 10. I think I'd rate it as the third best episode of the four we've seen. I think it's above, you know, part two, but it's uh, below part one and the final battle part one.
0: I'd give it like a six or a seven. It's very it's entertaining to watch, but um Yeah, a six is fair. It, it I I would doubt it would be life changing to anyone watching it.
1: <laughs> no, I, I think they they the moments they focus on like the fascism stuff are becoming increasingly less and less. And I think that's why, you know, in the, in the original miniseries part two, they kind of stress that less, whereas in parts one of, you know, this series and the last one, they stress it more.
0: And I, I think that's the most interesting part of the show, personally, is the political allegory. Yeah, that's why I think it's good to have Daniel sticking around because that's sort of the last remnant of that. Um, yeah, is missing parents. Um right. <laughs> <laughs> who might be good to see but I guess we don't have to. Um and I and I do have thoughts about the evolution of the the tone and genre V, but we can talk about that after our break where we talk about the new character of Ham Tyler.
1: Hi, I'm Lars Emerson
0: and I'm Mike Levito.
1: And we're the hosts of the Postwriters podcast, Watching Mates. It's our podcast in which we explore the trends in film under each post-war presidency and reflect on how presidents and the zeitgeist of the era shaped the movies of their time. Episodes air every two weeks, so be sure to check it out wherever podcasts are found or on the postwriter.com.
0: So we are back from our break. So I guess it's time for us to talk about the characters that we see in this episode, uh, new characters. Um, just quickly before we get to Ham Tyler, I guess uh, Dan Pascal played by Dick Miller in the last part. He, he gets shot and killed very early on in this, this part, which I was sad to see. I was hoping to see more of Dick Miller because we had so much airtime about him last episode. But oh, well, the, <laughs> uh- but for every Dick Miller, there's always a Michael Ironside in waiting. And boy, do we get a lot of Michael Ironside in this. That we do. Um, you know, I thought he
1: was like a, a fine character. I don't know that I'm like emotionally connected to him as much as I am. I, I feel like Mike and Juliet are the only – and Elias, I guess, are the only characters I'm emotionally connected to. And I guess – oh, no, 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 no. Martin also. But <laughs> oh, that's
0: I, I interesting.
1: Guess. I I find Martin actually one of the more endearing characters, personally.
0: So, here's the thing. It's like, I'm not emotionally invested in Ham Tyler as, like, a deep character, but he's a cool character in the way that, like, Harry Callahan from, like, the Dirty Harry movies (laughs) is, like, a cool character. And I was alluding to this before. So, it's like, V started out as, like, this World War II fascism allegory, and it sort of stumbled in the second half shifting into like sci-fi action movie and ham tyler is sort of the conduit or vehicle of like the evolution of this into full-on sci-fi action thing which is like i'm all here for it because it's entertaining um it might not be like the smartest thing (laughs) to ever air on tv but it it is extremely entertaining and they do have good elements so i really like it michael ironside is great for this role Conveying sort of like this badass military expert, which bring which is a, a sort of a necessary component uh, given the plot of the series, so it fits, and it's just extremely entertaining. So I'm excited to learn more about him. They do sort of briefly acknowledge that they're holding back on like his backstory. He has a scene with Ruby where it's like, if you come back alive, I'll tell you all about me. <laughs> But Ruby unfortunately yeah. doesn't come back alive. So right. That was a good good scene between them. But yeah, I, I like Ham Tyler a lot. Um, I definitely hope he he sticks around because Michael Ironside is uh is a good get. I mean, he's the most recognizable actor out of the whole bunch, to me at least. Yeah, yeah. Because he's been in stuff like Starship Troopers. Uh, he was in X Men First Class at the very end. He was Dark Side on the Superman and Justice League animated series, so he's very recognizable. Whereas Mark Singer and Jane Battler and Faye Grant, I have not really seen them in much else. So,
1: yes, I, I think Mark Singer, not to beat this Luke Skywalker you know comparison too much, but he he and Mark Hamill, I feel like take a similar path. Uh. Except Mark Hamill's, like, more famous because he was the original. But, like,
0: that's kind of, you know. Another DC animated universe connection, Mark Hamill went on to be a voice actor who could yeah. play characters in that universe. Like Michael Ironside, where Mark Singer, I don't know. I don't think he can voice acting.
1: No, no, probably know. not. I
0: just thought he's... Yeah, I...
1: I... Not to yeah. beat a dead horse, but he really hams up the like Luke Skywalker wannabe in this episode. I thought
0: it 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 could be what Mark Hamill could have been. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds really mean to Mark Singer, but <laughs> no, I that's a great way to put it. Actually, you burn out and then fade away. Um, what other new characters were there? Any other new characters worth discussing? There was the Visitor Commander. The, uh, the... oh right, Pamela. Uh, not really a whole lot to say about her. I thought the special effect of her ship arriving was pretty cool. Like, heading towards Earth. But, um, yeah, not really a whole lot. They do imply that Diana is in, like, a romantic relationship with the their leader. Or that she's been having sex with him for favors. Yeah, it is. There was, an, like, an implication of that. Um, but there's also an implication that the leader, like gets around or, like, sent Diana far away so she wouldn't be around a mess in his business. Right. And they... Yeah.
1: Are they referring to John or the person above John in that situation?
0: There's, like, something... She says something about, like, why did he send you all the way out here? Oh, I I assume it's the leader, like, on their home planet. Right. Um. Then not a whole lot of John in this episode, I don't think at all. No, I, I don't think we ever actually see him he was credited at the top Richard Hurd was so I didn't I don't recall seeing him yeah so I guess that's it for our, our character roundup are there any other existing characters you want to talk about no I don't think so I think we you know unpacked all of them pretty well in our plot walk through okay uh R.I.P. Ruby I guess <laughs>
1: yeah I mean I don't know what do you think is going on with Juliet?
0: Well, I was wondering if it, if they were going to have any lingering side effects of Juliet manifest in this episode. And there wasn't really after she got rescued. There was a bit of hesitation on her part, but there was nothing like, she shoots Mike or something. Right. She seems to struggle at shooting at visitors now, but it's
1: unclear if that's her own mental hiccup or something else.
0: We'll have to see if she's like a Manchurian candidate in the next part. Yeah, it feels uh, like they're setting that up, but I can't tell. So are you okay going into a credits roundup? Yeah. All right. So as we said at the top, um, there were a lot of writers on the final battle. There were about six or so. So we already said Lillian Weezer is the pseudonym for Kenneth Johnson, who was involved but then left the production um, due to conflicts with Warner Brothers for some reason. Diane Frolov. Who uh, has written for a couple of TV shows. She worked on The Incredible Hulk TV show with Kenneth Johnson, so that's presumably how she became involved. Uh, she has worked on a couple of TV shows since, some notable like Northern Exposure and The Sopranos. <laughs>
1: oh, wow, that's uh, I mean that's a that's probably a
0: step up from V Sopranos. Yeah, she actually was part of – she and her husband, Andrew Schneider, she wrote the episode Soprano Home Movies, which is commonly cited as one of the best episodes of the show Mm. in the uh, final half of the final season. So um, she she (laughs) – so it's nice to see that she, you know, went on to other projects after this. Lars, you haven't seen uh, Sopranos, right? No, I have not. (laughs) it's pretty good yes no that's what i've heard (laughs) brian taggart was another writer he worked on some stuff like emergency and adam 12 before uh, v the final battle he wrote poltergeist three have you ever seen poltergeist three lars i have
1: not seen poltergeist one or two either (laughs)
0: Uh, yeah, it's about, like, a big apartment tower. It's being haunted by poltergeists. Yes, that much I know. Do you know Nancy Allen is in it from Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Classic Nancy Allen. Wait, is that Nancy Allen or Karen Allen? I'm sorry, Nancy uh, Allen. Yeah, c- yeah, sorry, what? I... Nancy Allen and Brian De Palma. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, yeah. And he also wrote uh, Omen 4, the TV movie sequel to Omen 3, I guess. (laughs) Okay, so maybe not a lot of winners there. Oh, Omen 4 stars Faye Grant. Okay. Who who is Juliet in V. Juliet. Yes, no, I know. (laughs) Juliet from Shakespeare. (laughs) So that's interesting that they work together again. Yeah. Uh, Peggy Goldman who worked on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman before this, a Norman Lear's uh, soap opera parody starring Louise Lasser, which I have watched a dozen or so episodes of. Um, I actually have the complete series on DVD, and I need to (laughs) finish watching it. So I need to watch like 300 more episodes. (laughs) Uh, So she worked on that before V, The Final Battle. She worked on Remington Steele, have you ever watched Remington Steel Lars? I have not. Do you know who Remington Steele is? No. Pierce Brosnan. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. It's a good show. I, I enjoy Remington Steele. You'd like it. Um, it's very much in, like, the psych, monk, sort of, like, it's a mystery every week, but it's it's fun. Pierce Brosnan's uh, Remington Steele. He's, like, a movie buff, so he's always, like, uh, citing movies on the show. So Peggy Goldman. And then after that, she didn't really do a whole lot else in writing. She worked on a couple of shows like Hot Pursuit and Starman and then wrote an episode of the Fame TV series after that. So that's Peggy Goldman, Craig Buck, who who's credited under the name, um, what is it, uh, Faustus Buck on the show. Uh, on V, he's credited as Craig Faustus Buck. So Craig Buck, he worked on The Incredible Hulk, which Kenneth Johnson created. Uh, the Buck Riders in the 25th Century Show, Magnum P.I., he wrote. Uh, after this, he was also on Hot Pursuit, like Peggy Goldman. Mm-mm. Simon and Simon. And then not a whole lot after that. For Craig Faustus Buck, I did look up. He he writes novels now, I believe. You can check out his website to see what books he's written. So Harry and Renee Longstreet, they're a couple. They're also they also worked on uh, V: The Final Battle. Uh, they seem to be known more as a, a producing team than writers, because um, that's how they're credited on uh, IMDb, more as producers than writers. So. Doo-doo-doo.
1: It, it doesn't feel like a lot of these people had super big careers after V.
0: Well, I mean, they worked on stuff. They worked A lot of them, they worked on V, the final battle, and then they went on to the show. Um, ah. I'm just looking at their credits as writers, um, which I guess they mainly are. So I don't know how, how that bolsters my argument. Right. And, and uh, Harry and Renee were only credited as writers on part one of the final battle. So after V, they also worked on Shadow Chasers, a show I've literally never heard of before today, and the fame show. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about is uh, they wrote Gunsmoke, One Man's Justice, which is the TV TV movie of Gunsmoke. It's The Last of Five, starring James Arnest. So it's James Arnest's uh, farewell movie to the character of Matt Marshall Matt Dillon, which he started playing in 1955. So it's the end of a 39 year journey playing this character. They wrote the TV movie of that. Just thought I'd mention it. Cause Gunsmoke, I feel is a very underrated show.
1: I, I have not seen it.
0: <laughs> well, Lars, you need to get out more.
1: You need uh, to watch uh, yeah.
0: TV land more. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then after Gunsmoke, they worked on uh, the alien nation movies and alien nation was uh, created by Kenneth Johnson.
1: Ah, there you go.
0: So that's the writers. Just wanted to let everyone know what the writers were uh, all about. So Richard T. Heffron, not exactly a household name, right, Lars? No, I don't know them. <laughs> uh, he directed some TV, like The Bold Ones, The Lawyers, and Banachek in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh Rockford Files. I don't know if you've seen Future World, the sequel to Westworld. No. Have you seen the original Westworld?
1: No, it's on my list, though.
0: Yeah, I did. I, I've seen Future World. I can barely remember anything about it. Um, so it's less memorable than the original Westworld in my mind. So, But he did do that before the the final battle. He directed a three-part TV miniseries about Napoleon and Josephine. You know, the historical figures, Napoleon Bonaparte and his wife, Josephine, the love story. He did a Taggart TV movie after that. So again, like the writers, is not really a, a big deal. He did do True Grit, a further adventure, which I guess is a sequel to <laughs> True Grit. Why are you laughing?
1: It's just it's, it's it's these feel like a lot of like B and C level things.
0: I mean, th- these are just people, you know, that are trying to get by in the TV industry. He did do North and South. He did the first miniseries of that. Um, and that was, like, a thing. So that's probably what he's best known for after V, the final battle. If anyone want to know about the people behind the scenes who worked on V, making what it is. I don't think it's really in our place to, like, dismiss these people's hard work.
1: <laughs> no, I just... I. It is interesting that... It feels like V is the biggest thing that they did.
0: Yeah, I mean, would you be happy if you your career had something as big as V? Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, V was like a, a big hit. And it's, you know, like a lot of these things like Star Wars, Ghostbusters, what have you. You know, some of it's, you know, lightning in a bottle. You know, just being in the right place at the right time. Right. Um, and then it's hard to, you know, recapture that uh, success. Like... You know, they tried again with V in 2009, and for whatever reason, it, you know, didn't work. Yeah. All right, so now I guess we're on to the highlights and lowlights. So, Lars, what would you say is the lowlight of this episode for you?
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's very obviously the lizard child crawling out of uh, Robin. (laughs) I, I think that, like, took almost all of my goodwill towards this episode and just really... Really smacked it in the face.
0: <laughs> Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you disagree? <laughs> tell me what you really think. No, I mean, I feel like uh, it's pretty much a given. Did you have anything as like a second place option? Um,
1: I mean, it's kind of related, but I thought like the iguana during Juliet's, you know, conversion scene. There's just, just a lot of kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean,
0: look, the craft of on this, filmmaking. But,
1: but they try to make an iguana look. The effects in this episode, in particular, I think were the most underwhelming. And they do like probably the most effects of any episode. You know, between like the water stuff blowing up and all the explosions. But I feel like they all land sort of flat. It's like the baby, yeah, like you said, the stock footage of water pouring, <laughs> um, the explosions being too small. The iguana. It. It. I think it all falls a little weaker than in pr- prior episodes.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mention that because it does sort of have that feel of being um, uh, cheap. So I'll have to see whether it's uh, just an overall the budget was low, or maybe they're they're saving uh, the budget for something really spectacular in part three. Um, we'll just have to see. <laughs> the you know, the lizard the- child
1: thing. runs around shooting at people.
0: Maybe he's like the only character they spe- they went all in on lizard baby <laughs> I mean I to be it probably is the thing they probably spent the most money on one special effects I don't know, maybe yeah. not I don't know they should have gotten someone like uh Rick Baker Is that the special effects guy he did uh the incredible melting man I don't know.
1: Uh, I don't know, Would you? what would you say was your low light of the episode?
0: Yeah, Rick Baker. Oh, my low light, it's really easy. It's the uh, scene of Juliet and Mike kissing on the train. Uh, probably specifically that they use, like, a really cheesy, like, 70s, like, Yeah, like, yeah they do. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> and he's, he's so shaved.
1: He has no hair. It's like a miracle.
0: And then just you know, it's like uh, the old joke about the director being like a creepy old man. It's like yeah, no kiss now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, On the bed. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heavy breathing behind the camera.
1: <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. What would you say your favorite part was
0: then? Uh, probably like Daniel shooting Ruby. <laughs> Not because I like hated Ruby, but because it was you know uh, it, you know it got back to the the World War Two sort ofness it, of it all.
1: It was the most tense moment of the episode for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's the moment that felt the most. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah,
0: and and last episode you were saying how like uh, Daniel is like uh, beyond redemption, and I was sort of like hemming and hawing. It's like well, I don't know. It's, it's like yeah, it's well, really like hard for Daniel to come back from like this now and i, I do want to stress that it's like it's the character daniel's written very well to be this way and the actor is doing a very good job yes. portraying him this way it's not that we actually like hate daniel uh in and of itself <laughs> right <laughs> well we do well <laughs> but yes we. The,
1: but daniel is well done
0: yes like you were saying he's doing exactly what the writers are intending they're playing uh our organs he's a good character in the character sense
1: not in a morality sense yes yeah um no that's a good that's a good moment i had not thought of that but that is that would be up there i actually think the um it's a shame because i actually think the first half of the you know birth scene is actually well done where that like the baby you feel like a wash of like oh my god this baby's like fine uh, with the first child. Um and then like it like actually like <laughs> like I jumped a little bit when like it like hisses and the tongue comes out. I actually thought that was that was probably the most like evocative response from me for this
0: episode. So I yeah, I like that part too and then
1: they ruined it. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: just it just goes to show it's like the the little things are some of the things that work best. It's like the devil's in the details. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, uh, trying to make an analogy, like you know, a Godzilla movie isn't really that scary because it's kind of like ridiculous. But something about like maybe your neighbor is like a serial killer, like that's more scary because it like could happen. Right. So it's like a baby that just you know has like a mutation is definitely like something that happens in real life. Right. <laughs> but there's no one <laughs> with the like giant uh Jim Henson's creature shop Muppet <laughs> watermelon-sized baby climbing out of the the <laughs> six foot long wool. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah. It, it is a very good scene just for out- how quickly it just goes from everyone being so happy, like, it's a girl, yay! And then it just, like, the thing with the hissing happens, and they're like, oh, dear God! <laughs> Robin starts, like, crying. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, everyone's like, uh, kill it! <laughs> kill it! Right. Not really, but, like, that's, like, the, uh, the feeling. Yeah. Alright, so I guess uh, we're here at the end of another episode. I'm turning into Jay Leno all of a sudden. <laughs> Have you heard about this? V? <laughs> uh. So Lars, uh, tell people where they uh, can contact you.
1: Yeah. So you can, you know, you can of course find this show anywhere you find your podcast and on thepostwriter.com. Uh, you can reach out to us at uh, by email uh, via contact at thepostwriter.com. Or you know on Twitter at the Post Writer, um, you know please reach out to us. We like to hear from you. Um, I know Lewis would be particularly excited if we got an email. And just you know, one, may- though. <laughs> just one. Um, and you know maybe when we've finished our our watch of you know the next episode of V and all our episodes are up, we could come back and do some an audience episode or something. Who knows?
0: Yeah, mailbag episode that that could be really fun. Yeah. Um, test uh test our knowledge of v <laughs> right right. put it to the max and if anyone knows anyone who actually worked on v in a uh performer or crew member role you know let us know and we'd li- love to have them on for a interview or a chat um,
1: does anyone know how to get in touch with mark singer <laughs>
0: Or Mark Hamill, that might be better. <laughs> right. Apparently, since we're just dumping on Mark Singer now, all of a sudden. <laughs> I, I love the character Mike, but I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, and Lars, uh, you usually like to recommend your letterboxed, right?
1: Yeah, you, you can, you know, you can find me on letterboxed at Lars Emerson, and yeah, like I said, you can reach out to us on thepostwriter.com, dot too.
0: That is Lars Emerson, not Lars Merson. (laughs) Right. And I am on Letterboxd as well as Lewis Ryan. You can follow me there. And I'm also on Twitter, at the Lewis Ryan. Um, So you can find me there as well. And please feel free to get in touch with us. If you're enjoying this podcast, not enjoying this podcast, not listening to the podcast at all, (laughs) please let us know. All right. So I guess that wraps it up for another episode of our podcast. So tune in next time and we'll be discussing the epic conclusion to the final battle. How does it all shake up? What's going to happen to Mike and Martin? What becomes of Robin's baby? Is Juliet okay? Will Diana crush the resistance? All sorts of these questions I hope get answered in the next part. Uh, We'll just have to see how it all shakes out. This is exciting. I can't wait to see how it all turns out because – I don't know. And Lars doesn't know. So we're we're thrilled to find out. It hasn't no spoilers about this have permeated pop culture the way like something like Darth Vader father has. Bruce Willis is actually dead. So, Lars, you excited for part three?
1: Less excited than I was for part two, but I am curious to
0: see how they cap this all off. Well, I'm sure you're more excited for our discussion episode about it, right?
1: I That I definitely am. I, I actually think it's more fun to discuss when things go a little wrong than when they go totally right. It'd be kind of okay. boring if we were just like, this show is great and perfect, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, it's a sinking feeling. Like, is there a reason V <laughs> isn't, like, <laughs> yes. talked about, like, right. that much anymore? Right. It's fun to feel like we're uncovering it in real time, too, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen. That is absolutely correct. And I'll be here to discuss it with you, Lars, and I hope our listeners are as well. Yeah. All right, everyone. Till next time, uh, have a good one. Thanks for listening.